Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. Financial independence is something that can often be overlooked in the disability and autism community. Without many available resources, it can be a challenge for autistic individuals and their caretakers to successfully manage their finances. Today, we chat with Andrew Komoro, a certified financial planner, founder of Planning Across the Spectrum, and host of the Adulting on the Spectrum podcast. In this interview, we will sit down and look into financial planning and controversial topics within the autistic community. We discuss questions such as, why is financial planning so important for the autistic community? Why is there so much controversy in the community and what can be done to ease the divide? This and more in today's episode. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Embracing Autism in Real Life. Today, I have another guest with me who I'm very excited to have on the show. This is Andrew, and Andrew Komoro is a certified financial planner. He is the founder of Planning Across the Spectrum, and he sits on the board of Autism Career Pathways, PathCT, as well as a 2020 ABLE NRC ambassador and an ABLE account holder himself. He is a Connecticut House of Representatives Autism Spectrum Disorders Advisory Council appointee and frequently speaks on his own experiences or on various financial and insurance planning topics. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show today. No, thank you so much for having me. I have like so many different things that I do. I'm I'm never like like quite sure like what I actually gave in my bio. I'm like, oh yep, that one was latest. <laughs> and did I pronounce your last name correctly? Close enough, Camaro. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your mission. I mean, I I think you did a pretty good job, but so I mean, my our, my mission is well, again, as a person, and I don't know, I don't really have one, but as a company, right, it's to, you know, really just help people and find benefits and resources in the, quote, financial planning world, it's special needs like neurodiversity, or even just the fact that, you know, there's adults doesn't exist. And there really isn't people out there who are just helping people find benefits and resources. When people come to us, they don't even know what questions to ask. So really just helping people get to that next step and be financially secure. What is your relationship to autism that kind of brought you towards that? And what what brings you here today? Well, I guess on one hand, given especially my intro and bio, what isn't my relationship to autism? Um, <laughs> but again, I so I'm autistic myself. We work with autistic adults, employers that want to hire them, and the parents. The majority of my staff is autistic as well. Was there any single event that inspired Planning Across the Spectrum? So I always wanted to specialize. So I, I've been a financial planner, you know, ten, over a decade now. Makes me feel a little old, but I've been doing it a long time. And I always thought I wanted to work with people who were like me, but I couldn't quite figure it out. What, what's funny now is 
I was leaning towards maybe wanting to work with engineers and very analytical people, which makes a lot of sense in hindsight, because I, again, I was looking for people who were very much like me. And, you know, what really inspired it was, you know, something just clicked. I, I really like complex solving of problems. And I also I get to really couple that with being able to help people who need it the most, for better or for worse, have some of the most, you know, complex situations there are. Why do you think that financial planning is so important in the autism community and the disability community? I mean, what in your life doesn't isn't affected by money, right? Like, I, I guess, you know, fi- find a reason why it's not important. I think what makes it more important is it's so complex. So whether somebody's either receiving government benefits or not, maybe even if somebody isn't, maybe they can't work quite as much. Maybe they work part time. Or maybe a parent is working less or staying home to take care of another, a child who's autistic. So, and planning for the future is especially important and for, again, everyone. So I guess, why isn't it important? Were there any particular challenges that kind of rose up that really made you think, wow, the the autistic community and the disability community really, really does need this? Or was it more of customizing the experience towards the special needs community? Like, how is planning across the spectrum different than a a typical financial type of advisory? Great question. So, I mean, I'll say first off, most people don't know what financial planning, financial advising is. You know, there's somebody who just sells insurance or someone who just manages money. But let's assume that there's a financial planner who will look at all the different pieces of what somebody has and put it all together. What really makes us different is not that we understand from a social or emotional level, which we do, but really that we we know the questions that they don't know how to ask. So a lot of people, there's different benefit programs or healthcare considerations and you know, working when you have a disability and even just communication styles and preferences, right, which is a very important thing, most wouldn't even ask. So what really makes this different too is when somebody comes to us, we get a lot of people, we don't charge. I had a lady this week say I made her year. And I'm like, you know, it's a little early. It's only March. I I really hope your year gets better than, you know, opening an ABLE account. But at the same time, I'm really glad to help you. She was referred by somebody to me who I'd helped open an ABLE account. There was no record of her in my system. Like I wasn't trying to like make money. There there was the advocacy, just so much part of what we do. And the reason why people come to us is, you know, they they have a question, should I do this or should I do that? And I always like to say, well, you need to know where you want to go before how you're going to get there. And, you know, if they're all asking whether it's a insurance investment or somebody from the state and what are the 50 different departments that'll give you a different answer every time you ask. But nobody really looks at, well, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. I got my daughter like a $9 like Reese's like peanut butter milkshake and she's four yesterday. And then she's been like crazy all night. Like go figure why I did doesn't mean I should have. So she enjoyed it. I'm sure she definitely thought you should have. <laughs> <laughs> so is um, Planning Across the Spectrum, is that located in Connecticut and just, a, is it a local service or is it a national service or, or a state? Like, how does that work? 
Yeah, so we actually currently have employees in four states. We our client furthest away is in Switzerland that that we have ongoing. Wow. Um, so we do have a, a local office again in Connecticut. We do have uh, more employees in Connecticut, but we have Maryland, Arizona, uh, and Boston as well. So we we really okay. help people all over. That's awesome. Wow, that's amazing. I'm, I'm really happy to see that something like that exists out there for the autistic community and for parents and, you know, everybody who needs that. Because I know when it comes to autism, finances is definitely something that's a struggle for many parents. So that's definitely a need. And the worst part about it is everyone makes it so boring. Like I gave a talk on uh, college planning for like when you have a disability, like Wednesday, and I'm like, oh my God, you were so entertaining. And for one, it's like, because I'm passionate about what I'm talking about, but also the other people are just so boring. The bar is just so low. And it's not just about like, if you've ever attended any sort of financial planning or invest anything autism related, it's just so dry and it's not practical. I, I guess I have the, you know, foresight or wisdom to know that my special interest isn't, I can make incredibly boring, but Talk about what something does, not what it is. Yes, I like to be entertaining. Well, I mean, with finances, that's good because, like you said, it's not <laughs> always the most entertaining topic. <laughs> um, so, not. not not to completely switch gears here, but I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your personal experience as an autistic adult. And I just wanted to know, like, growing up, I think I heard that you got a later diagnosis, correct? You didn't did. have a diagnosis as a child. Correct. Okay. That would be correct. Yep. And so growing up, not knowing that you were autistic and then finding out later in life that you were autistic, what would you say were some of the challenges that you faced? I had lots of struggles. I mean, I was essentially institutionalized from 13 to 18. So you want to talk about struggles. And a lot of it was parental and, you know, department children to families, etc. But for the most part, it was treated. I didn't know. I never thought I had bad anxiety because if you've never known what not being anxious feels like, how do you know what being anxious feels like? Right. You know, if, if light bother you or textures bother you, or how do you, if you never know any different, right. Maybe you just think, Mm -hmm. you know, very negatively on yourself, especially. So, so you'd say that that probably impacted your self-esteem growing up, I would assume. Of course. and, And I think it would for anyone. Absolutely. Yeah, I can relate to that because I, I grew up with a learning disability that I didn't get diagnosed until later in life either. And when I grew up, I felt the same way. I felt like really low self-esteem, like something was wrong with you. And I feel like getting a diagnosis can often be really powerful because it gives you answers and all of a sudden things make sense, like you gain clarity. I think that's really true, but I also think there's a period of time, like almost like a, I don't know, like like a shock or like a not like you know, like, oh my God, like, what if I had known this? Like, th- th- it's not like morning's not the right word, but there's definitely, th- there's a period after knowing that can, that can be difficult too. Yeah. I think shock is probably the right word where you're kind of like, not really sure what to do with the information you just got. And you're just kind of like numb for a second. Yep. Yeah, I think shock is is right. And I think it's definitely more than a second. Yeah. And um, Um, I'm gonna answer a question that you were probably gonna ask. But I I know you said I could talk about something maybe controversial. And uh, this is like semi, I think there should be a waiting period 
for when anyone who's autistic who's diagnosed later in life proclaimed to know about autism like dude you you just learned you have it shut up right like you know stop you know tumblr doesn't have everything and you know i i would like to propose a one year i mean that might be a little bit too long but there definitely seems to be i just got diagnosed and i'm going to tell everyone on the world in the world what autism is because you're still discovering it for yourself and i'm not on social media or anything but even just like i spent a lot of time trying to read try to try to discover and try to like learn as much as i can not just from social media but from books they exist right that's something that i think you know people should do is take time to really come to terms with it and you really should learn about yourself first now that you mention it let's go ahead and talk about controversy i think you and i both know and anybody really knows that once you get involved in the the world of autism it's pretty difficult to avoid controversy there's really controversy all the time in any sort of interaction that parents might have online with um either self-diagnosed autistic adults or um i, I don't know what you would call it actually diagnosed autistic adults I and you were just but that works too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I think it's like a combination of just people who kind of give mixed messages in terms of what everybody thinks and what page everyone's on. It doesn't seem like everybody is on the same page. It seems like everyone is kind of on a different page. And so I wanted to ask but, but, you because but that's not a bad thing. The the bad thing is if we expect everyone to be on the same page and we bully them for not being on the same page. Right. And I just want to ask you on your opinion on what do you think personally are one of the most controversial topics or what are your opinion on some of the standard controversial topics like the puzzle piece signal, first person language, things like that? What's your general thoughts on that? So there's a quote that I that I live by and it's uh, called Hanlon's Razor and it's never attribute malice to anything that can be adequately explained by stupidity. And I feel that if everyone really took that to heart and you know, they, they just assumed that the other people out there were, were, were just trying to do their best, that, that no parent is trying to torture their child, that the people who use the language, you know, have good intent. I, I think that it would be a much better place. I, I think the controversy is just, it's sad because it's distracting from so many real issues that exist. And I mean, there, there's a million real issues. There's just so many issues that most people don't even know half the issues that exist. It's just so incredibly complicated. I, I think if we did a much better job of saying who we should support and why we should support something rather than boycott this or boycott that, you know, I, I think the world would be a better place. I don't like puzzle pieces, but like puzzle pieces, I don't care. If liking puzzle pieces, somebody else liking puzzle pieces affects you, you have very serious mental health trauma that you need to work towards. And it has nothing to do with the fact that the other person is using a puzzle piece. I think part of what you're saying essentially is kind of like the live and let live mentality. Everybody has kind of like a right to their own opinion and to not necessarily get on somebody else if their opinion doesn't align with yours. Yeah, everyone has a right to their own opinion, but not their own facts, right? Uh, granted, the person who said that quote is the lawyer who got O.J. Simpson off, but let's you know <laughs> forget that for a moment, uh, the late F. Lee Bailey. I, I think it's one of those where, why are you doing what you're doing? 
I do a lot of advocacy on a state level, and I'm talking about real advocacy. I, you know, I'm on Connecticut's Autism Waiver Committee. I, I left the housing subcommittee because after, anyway, it was useless. But now I'm, I, uh, I'm on Connecticut's pipeline for, you know, building a workforce for individuals with disabilities. Like I'm doing real change. Yelling at strangers on the internet, you know, is not. And if you want to see gross ineptitude, you should see what the government is doing, right? I, I mean, or just like get involved in some like local advocacy and real politics. I, I think it really helps, you know, put things in perspective when you see how far, you know, behind in the language there is. It's not bad intentioned, but there's also nobody advocating on local levels. And you know, a lot of these local Congress people, they listen. I, I wish people would put the effort into trying to make their their own little world, their their state, their town mm-hmm. a better place, because then I think we'd make the world a better place. I, I can totally relate with that. That was the entire inspiration behind Autism Wish was essentially how our local government had this funding, this application that you could get just $2,000 a year towards stuff to help your child, co-pays, things like that. Are you and in there Maryland? Was so, yes, I am. L-I-S-S? The list funds. Yes. Can and you the, tell the, that I do benefits and resources? Right? I knew by the 2000s. You knew exactly what, what I was talking in. about. Yeah, so you know anyway, exactly sorry. how much red yes. tape there is for that. And it it the application process is so tedious. They are never clear about what's required, what's not required. <laughs> You're not allowed to ask questions. If you ask questions, their answer is just submit it and we'll see. But if you get rejected, you automatically lose the funds. So it's really high stakes. So that was actually the reason we created Autism Wish was because I was like, Let's get rid of this red tape. I'm going to create a system where people just create a wish list and I match them directly with sponsors. And that's that. Because I do think that the government tends to add way too many steps than are necessary. Yeah, I actually have a similar. So something I do for free is there's an event calendar. It's events.planningacrossthespectrum.com. I actually pay a fair amount of money to maintain it every year. It's going on its second or third year. And literally thousands and thousands of events were around the country because very similarly, the gov- their government was, you know, wanting to, I don't know, they probably never do it, but have, you know, autism events. And this is when things were in public, you know, before COVID too. And parents were always looking for sensory friendly or social or advocacy groups. And there was uh, an autistic individual who was always sharing the events all over Facebook. It was his thing. He was, he's amazing. So I said, how would you like to get paid? Let, you know, let me put this together, right? Like, let's get all of these events. And it's incredible. I know other sites, you know, use it. Um, I wish more people would because it's just free. But the goal is, you know, to have a resource. So send that over to me. I'll tack it onto our website as another resource. We have a resource section we're trying to just now build. So, (laughs) So my next question for you is, Knowing that, you know, there is this representation in the autistic community online, I'm sure you've noticed that there seems to be this term that's just the autistic community. And I know for me, when I first went into the webiverse of autism, I I kind of fell for it in the terms of like thinking that there was kind of like this monolithic voice. But after doing a lot of my own investigation, I realized like, no, there's a lot of varying opinions here. And it's not as clear cut as one would think it. 
So my question for you is, do you feel represented in what people call the autistic community? And if not, how important do you feel that accurate representation is? Well, so first off, do you mean to tell me that individuals who have black and white and rigid thinking and, you know, lack ability to potentially see things from other people's perspectives, have trouble seeing things not black and white and from other people's perspectives? Wow, that's shocking. We can also be sarcastic too, by the way. But, you know, I I think if we talk about the autistic community from an online point of view, you know, for people who have jobs and things to do, so I like to do some bad math, I call it. So let's say that there's 6 million people with autism in the United States. And let's just say that half have an intellectual disability. And then let's say another third of that Right. Um, and, and I'll give you the number. You don't have to do it in your head. You know, <laughs> okay. are, are under 18. So we're talking about 2 million autistic adults without an intellectual disability over the age of 18 in the United States. Okay. And wait, that's 2 million. There's maybe a couple hundred online that do all of this. So do I feel that the autistic online really represents the vast majority of people? I mean, no. You know, but do I think that, you know, I I think in general that, you know, a lot of people don't have the time or the bandwidth to spend and to argue and on social media, right? It's so draining too, even if you're so passionate. So it's also really hard for anyone. I, I think there are places where individuals can, you know, just be supported. And I've seen some groups where people just aren't, you know, posting on each other um it's not just because i run one of them but it's just like don't like don't like judge somebody for not using the correct terminology when they're asking for help right who who cares what term they use right like you're just so taking away from you know the purpose of what an individual is asking for and there's just so many more important things going on there's so many more injustices that are happening like every second of every day to, you know, the millions of autistic people. And I promise you, one of those injustices is not knowing identity language, which I wrote a very, or helped write a very long article about that, you know, like, hey, person first actually comes from a good place. How about we not like treat horribly the people who are like trying to be nice to us? Does it represent me? I I don't know, because I know that there are hundreds of times more people who just don't have the energy, or dare I say spoons, hate that. If you make one comment that disagrees, right, it will ruin your whole weekend dealing with the flood of comments around it. I can't blame people for not wanting to do that. Sorry, that was long-winded. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, it's a complex topic, so... What, if anything, do you think could possibly be done to like amend the divide among the community? Or do you think that's even a worth it effort? No, I, I, I don't think that there, I think there should be a divide. I think differences of opinions are important. I think that why, why, I mean, let, okay, so the autistic community will go with the, uh, the not nice autistic community, right? So, or actually autistic, which is how most of the not nice go, you know, go by, not everyone. I would say that, ask the question again one more time. I lost it. I was just going to say, like, do you think anything could be done to kind of ease that tension? 
Why are we so obsessed with like a community that by like by definition, it's people who think differently trying to get everyone to think the same. So to me, that's just such an impossible task. Isn't neurodiversity and autism all about embracing differences? So why can't we just accept that there's lots of different people with good intentions trying to do good things? And you know what? The fact that somebody gave to Autism Speaks did not hurt you. The fact that somebody gave to ASAN did not hurt you, right? The fact that somebody gave or not, well, maybe that did, right? I don't know. But no, the point is, is that like, if we just spent more time caring about the things that we cared about versus, you know, putting down the things that we didn't, I think that's the way we can make things a better place. And we don't have to agree. I'm a registered libertarian. I don't agree with anyone on anything or I don't agree with anyone on everything at all. There's not a person who I agree with on everything. So again, it gives me a little bit different perspective. I I try to see like everybody's side even a bit too much, but no, I, I don't think the, I think having recognizing that everyone is valid, right. And everyone's experiences are valid. uh, You know, just don't, be horrible to each other like the at a certain point there's just no excuse for really horrible behavior right and that's it one of the things that i've noticed is that there tends to be an assumption of ill intent behind what people are saying and i think that if people could kind of take the time to realize that intent is actually really important and when somebody says something that you may or may not agree with that doesn't necessarily mean that they had negative or malicious intent it could just be you know a misunderstanding or a difference in belief systems or principles or values but that doesn't mean they're intentionally trying to hurt you or that they're intentionally trying to be malicious and i feel like that gets lost a lot it does do you remember the quote that i said hanlon's razor never attribute anything to malice that can be adequately explained by stupidity and when I like frame everything in that discussion or that 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 line of thinking, it it really helps. Given all this and the fact that you've you know navigated life as an autistic adult and you're very much ingrained and immersed into the autistic community, what's one tip that you would give to parents of autistic children who are kind of just now getting into the world of autism and they might be you know on the internet getting mixed mis- messages and you know you know the drill you know how it's <laughs> an onslaught at the beginning. So what would you be your best tip for those parents? So I'm actually going to give you two. I'm going to give you one for those parents and one for those parents 15 years later. So the first is nobody knows your your kid better than you do. You're you're not trying to torture your kid. You're you're trying to do what's best for your kid and you know what's best for your kid. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise, right? What something is called is not necessarily like as important as what something does. And I think that's important with like a lot of, you know, evolutions and therapies and things. Right. Uh, The other part that applies now, but especially later, is an autistic kid is still a kid. You know, I tell, you know, the young, my 20 year old just wants to play video games all day. Yeah. Cause he's a 20 year old who wants to play video games all day. Or I remember in a Facebook group, oh, my autistic kid leaves like toys all over the floor all the time. He's three. Anyone else kids do this? Yes. Every kid from the history of time does this. So I think it's really important that we phrase something that, you know, we all have things in common with, you know, autism because we're all human too, right? 
Although, you know, maybe not Rob Lowe. He doesn't seem to age. But other than that. I will say, though, from what you said there, uh, not not the Rob part, um, but I was <laughs> no I was thinking there. about... <laughs> I was thinking about what you were saying about, you know, children, like they're still children and they might not be doing something that's age inappropriate. We might just kind of be second guessing things. Well, right. And I will say that definitely for me personally, when I got my first kid's autism diagnosis, I didn't have that problem. But when my second child also received an autism diagnosis, because I didn't suspect that she was autistic and I missed a bunch of red flags, it made me kind of overdo it. And then I started seeing all these things. And I was like, wait, is that something? Is that something? Is that something? And I I totally get how that can be something that kind of like sucks you in initially, because you're kind of just like overwhelmed as a parent. But I, I definitely agree that like, I had to kind of take a step back and just be like, okay, wait a minute. They're still just two and three, like, they're probably gonna have a temper tantrum. Like, but I totally get what you're saying where like, sometimes I do feel like we as parents have to kind of take a step back because sometimes we think everything is autism when it's not necessarily. And, and I'm not trying to invalidate to anyone like you or listening that like, that's an easy thing to do, right? I mean, it can be hard to do. But again, this applies to adults, kids. Sometimes they're just being brats, right? Sometimes, you know, adults are just being horrible people and mean people, right? Yeah, I mean, kids can have stressful days too. So I I have to kind of give them some grace to be able to express those emotions like a normal kid would need to. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so I I, I agree with that sentiment. As you know, or may not know, (laughs) but my husband and I, so we run a podcast that's called Embracing Autism. And then this is our spinoff series called Embracing Autism IRL. What we are trying to do is help the world understand the concept of not just really like accepting autism, but kind of learning to embrace autism, which for us has a bunch of different meanings. And I was just wondering what you personally think the nuance of embracing autism means to you. I, I, I don't know if I have a good answer. I, I On one hand, you know, I think it's, you know, accepting who you are, like the good and the bad. I, I think if I was to give an answer. Actually, I think that's a really good answer. I haven't heard that. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's a good way of looking at it because depending on who you talk to and the perspective you get, different people think very different things about an autism diagnosis. So I think that that is really important to be able to not say that it's all good, not say that it's all bad, but that, you know, like like anything, there's good and bad and being willing to accept both sides of that coin. Correct. So I know you have a lot that you do. And I just wanted to know, like, out of everything that you've been doing, is there anything that in particular you want to be remembered by in the future? I want to be remembered as being a really awesome financial planner, like the best financial planner for doing a lot of good and for helping a lot of people, for creating the things that I've already created, for creating the things that I haven't created yet, and not for just being autistic. Sure, maybe that's part of why I was able to do what I do. Maybe that's a reason why I'm good at what I do or what I'm passionate about at what I do, but that's not what I want to be remembered for. I want to be remembered for, you know, all the people I helped, for all the people whose year I made already in March with a 15-minute phone call, all, all, all the people who can live their lives well, retire well, financially well, you know, out of debt and all the lives that I've impacted and all the people I've helped who I haven't even spoken to with all the other things that I've done. 
Yeah, I mean, that's very commendable, I would say. And that's a respectable goal because I think you are making a significant impact. And assuming you keep this up for a while, I think that's just going to increase over time. I'm sure you guys are going to do really, really good things. Thank you. Is there is there anything else that perhaps you didn't have an opportunity to talk about that you'd like to mention? I do two podcasts. I do one called Two Autistics Talk Money with me, who knows a lot about money, and a fire-breathing autistic mermaid who doesn't. And we try to make it fun. And, you know, like our tax time topic was whether breast implants are tax deductible and other tax (laughs) saving tips. So the other one I do is with Autism Speaks. And I actually, we own, I own the podcast with uh, Eileen Lamb, who the internet knows and hates. You know, we, we did it because it was important for other voices to get out there, right? And going back to some of the other sentiment that you've said is, I knew that there were other voices out there other than some of the very loud ones that we were hearing. I knew there were boring people like myself. I mean, don't tell me what I do for a living is exciting. Come on, we know this. And we wanted to interview and and hear more about them. So I, you know, got Autism Speaks to say, hey, you know, advertise our podcast and, you know, put it out there for you because well, then I get more of a reach, more of an impact to be able to have more people hear different sides of the story. And I'd like to think that that also just makes a little bit of difference. I know there's so many people out there who, you know, who listen, but and who see what people like you and me post and do, but we may never know it. So I would encourage those people to message the people like you, message the people like me, because sometimes we don't know and it's, you know, and it's hard to keep doing like what you're doing all the time. Right. And what, you know, I'm doing all the time. So if you like somebody's posts or content, you know, shoot them a quick message to let them know, because especially if they're, you know, bullied or slightly controversial, it can be really hard to only stand up to negative feedback when you feel you're alone. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that. That's why I want to give a platform to, you know, anybody who feels unheard, essentially. And I mean, I'm all totally open to giving a platform to people I disagree with, because I think having these conversations are important. So I I totally agree with that. And I think we need more of that. I think that's where some of these bridges will eventually get built, essentially. Yeah, no, we, we need more people who we disagree with, right? Like, I mean, I definitely don't agree with Eileen on a lot. She's never even seen Star Wars. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, but like... Hold on, hold on. Which Star Wars? Any of them. Okay, but but which ones are you for? Which All ones do you them. like? No, All not, of them? Yeah. Even the new ones? Like the brand I, they, new ones? They're not bad. They're not bad. Okay. The Empire Strikes I, I just, Back is the best. Is that okay? Okay, okay, that's that's fine. I'm just gauging how 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 much of an argument we're gonna have here. (laughs) No argument. (laughs) Okay, well, that I mean, Star Wars conversations are always good. (laughs) Yeah. So I just want to, before we wrap up here, we're reached the end of this, but I just want to make sure that my listeners can find you. So where is it that my listeners would be able to find you online? So if you Google me, I'm the other only other Andrew Comero, other than some Russian hacker who might be me. Maybe you don't know that. <laughs> um, but so planningacrossthespectrum.com, my website is probably the best. And I, you can probably put up my like, Link uh, Facebook.com backslash planning across 
I actually really post a lot of my activity on LinkedIn, but most people think LinkedIn is pretty lame. Um, <laughs> but there we go with me and, you know, my lame job. So I'm most active on LinkedIn, but I do post similar content on Facebook, try to avoid Twitter. And I really don't like Instagram, even though I know that's where all the cool people are. And um, I, I know that uh, we mentioned you may or may not have some goodies for my audience. Um, I'm not sure if you do. But if so, I can always share those out afterwards. That's totally cool. That calendar is awesome. So that's events.planningacrossspectrum.com. I mean, that's a goodie. And also, I helped somebody who's so passionate about autism and driving help create a company on helping autistics learn to drive. There's a free guide that's like 27 pages. It's amazing. And um, I'll throw out a coupon. Um, We'll do 10% if anyone signs up or has an individual and 10% will donate back to Autism Wish. And that coupon will be Autism Wish 10. I haven't made the coupon yet, but I will (laughs) by the time it's up. Autism Wish 10. And it's autismdriving.com. The reason for that language is, and it's, so it's driving with autism, because driving while autistic sounded too much like getting a DWI. So we, yeah. you know, there, there are reasons to go with person first language. But, you know, being able to drive is just such like a key part to independence and something that we're, we're really passionate about. So, again, definitely an non-sequitur type of thing. But uh, I did want to offer that up there. Well, thank you. And I am so happy that you didn't name it driving under the influence of autism. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for coming up to the show. Um, And I hope we get to chat again sometime in the future. Sounds great. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Have a good one. This has been Embracing Autism IRL, our video spinoff series. Make sure to visit our channel on YouTube by searching for Embracing Autism IRL to catch this video and others every month. Stick around as we drop the trailer for season six next week. And follow us on Facebook at Autism Wish to catch our season finale live Q&A session. If you need support, don't forget to join our virtual parent support group that meets monthly. You can find this and other resources on our website at www.autismwish.org and by navigating to the resources tab. This is Embracing Autism.